0: Well, good morning and happy spring. The snow is melting away, and you know what's just around the corner? Mosquitoes. <laughs> All right, so enjoy it while it lasts. This is like the best part of the year. You know, especially when you get that like sweet spot, like that two weeks between mud season and mosquito season. That's some prime stuff here. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I've entitled this message, uh, Strengthened by Love. But before we get into that, there are generally two ways that we as people try to improve ourselves. If we say, well, I'm going to try to make myself a better person this year, we generally are going to try to improve our mind or our body. And so we say, okay, well, I'm going to try a new diet, or I'm going to get a new gym membership, or I'm going to buy a Peloton or whatever it is to improve our bodies, or I'm going to buy way too many vitamins that do absolutely nothing. Or on the intellectual side, some people are convicted by that. On the intellectual side... There are books, right? There's, there's an endless supply of books. And so you have that big stack that just stares you down. Maybe someone got them for you for Christmas. Hey, you need to read this. And it just sits there and it stares you down. Or you say, I'm going to take some classes on the side. I might go back and get my master's degree or my bachelor's degree. You know, we're always trying to fix ourselves through external means. And by no way am I denying that these are ways that we can improve our lives. But that's not the complete picture we're going to see in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. So last week, Steve, in the previous part of chapter 3 and in the latter half of chapter 2, talked about this idea that God has brought together a new community. That by the work of Jesus Christ, there is now a new community that lives differently that has spectacular unity, and that's the, one of the mysteries that was being discussed in chapter three. It's just this amazing truth that God took two separate people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, that were at odds with each other for such a long time, but now God has a plan where he has brought the two together, not into two separate groups that get along, but into just one body, his church. And so he talked about that mystery, and now he's gonna fall into a prayer in verses 14 through 21, in response to this, min, this uh, mystery. So let's just get into it. In chapter three, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So right off the bat, Paul's saying, look, I bow my knees before the Father, and you know, when we bow down that is a sign of reverence that is how you act before a king we aren't used to that right because we have presidents and we don't we tend not to give them the time of day but before a king to someone who belongs all authority all power you kneel and so when we pray it's often good to kneel as a symbol of that and paul is saying look i kneel before god he is king he is in control from from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That is one of those phrases that really doesn't make sense in our English Bibles. But if you were were to go back to the Greek that this was written in, the word for father is pater, and the word for family is patria. So it's wordplay. In essence, Paul is saying, look, all families come from God. God is ruling above all families. All fatherhood comes from the Father. He's the ruler, he's the one in charge. He's important. This is the God that Paul is praying to. And in the verses 16 through 19 he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So right there in verse 16, this power that, is, that Paul is praying that would come to these Christians in the region of Ephesus is that they would receive power. That's his prayer, that they would receive power. But this power is coming from the riches of God's glory. And that is quite a storehouse. That this power is coming from a source that has no end. Not a limited source, but an eternal source. He prays that that God might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So there's a work that the Holy Spirit who is given to believers, the presence of God dwelling in us, would be doing this work through us, in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ would be doing a work in us through faith helping his people to trust in him. This is not an external work. He isn't just saying, hey, do better, work harder, but rather he is praying that God, the only person who can do this, would strengthen these Christians, starting on the inside. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth. That the foundation of this, what we are to be rooted in, is love. And the prayer is that these people would then have the strength to understand this love, along with all the saints, that they'd be able to look at the vastness of God's love and actually be able to somewhat wrap their minds around it. That's something... A spectacular, that's something amazing. He isn't praying that they would receive this gruff strength, that they would be able to just toughen it out, but rather this strength is being given by God through the inner man, and the foundation is the love of God. The the foundation of this strength is not in what they can accomplish through their own effort, it's not even through something miraculous in the world around us, but the foundation of it is God's love, and that is strengthening them in the inner man. I'm struggling to find words for this because this is generally not the way we like to think. We generally want God to give us something in the physical, we want Him to fix our situation make us a smarter person, make us a stronger person, and yet that's not exactly what Paul is praying for here. The language is kind of weird, if I'm honest. And so this work that Christ is doing in his church kind of has two purposes. We see this in verses 18 and 19. In verse 18, that they would have the strength to collectively understand God's love, that all the Christians would understand God's love and that they would know this love. And it's a love that surpasses knowledge. Once again, that's a challenge for us because as Western Christians, we like to study our brains out. We say, God's love? Well, can you give me a 17 week study on God's love? Can we go through and pick out all the times God's love appears in Scripture and, and memorize those? And those are not bad things to do. I love to study but he's talking about a love that surpasses human knowledge. It cannot simply be confined to books and journals and study, but this is something that can only come from the Father, through Christ Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's praying. He doesn't say, hey, you guys need to work on this. He says, I'm praying to God that you would receive this. That's challenging because I like to think that I can understand anything through pure reason and study. That's just not simply the case. God's love is vast, it is immeasurable. And yet that is where our strength comes from, the strength that God wants to give us. The strength God offers is through his love, not our ability. God has an eternal plan. He gives us the ability to have faith in him, to trust him. And then we experience his love. He forgives us. He gives us a new life. And the fullness of God fills us. This is what we see at the end of verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, these people have already received the Holy Spirit. It's not that God is far from them, but rather that God more and more and more and more and more and more would fill their lives. That walking with God would be more and more and more their experience. And he finishes this section in praise. In verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, that God is able to do more than we can imagine, more than we can ask for. Now that doesn't mean God's going to do everything you ask for. Don't get that wrong. But he can do far more than we could even imagine or ask for. Why? Because he has all power, all glory, all honor. He's got it. He's not limited in the ways that we are. And so Paul praises God for being this type of God who can do amazing things and is working in his people. And in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, through all generations forever and ever. Amen. His glory goes on and on and on and on. It has no end. But I think the point that's being made here, and we'll kind of jump back into this at the end and kind of wrap it together, is that mental and external strength both fall short in experiencing the fullness of God. Love is the key. Love is the key. Because once again, we like to think in terms of, okay, how can I be made to be a stronger physical, how can I be made to be more strong physically? Or how can I be made more strong intellectually, mentally? And yet this is a strength that is coming through love that is given to us by God. And that's why he's praying for it. Mental and external strength both fall short in experiencing the fullness of God. Love is the key. And yet those two strengths are the ones we tend to focus on. I think we need some examples for this. There are two cautionary tales we find in the Old Testament that actually have strange parallels to them. If you've grown up in church, you know these stories very well. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go uh, read those sections of scripture. These are the characters uh, of Samson and Solomon. Samson and Solomon. You can find Samson's story in Judges 13 through 16, and then Solomon in the first part of 1 Kings. Now, Samson lived in a time when there were judges among God's people. God's people, Israel, had their own nation, but they didn't have a king, and everyone was just kind of doing whatever they wanted to, And so God would cause these other nations around them to come in and invade his people, and then they would cry out to God, and God would raise up someone to keep these other nations in check. And so we have this guy named Samson. And if you've grown up going to Sunday school, you might have seen Samson portrayed as a hero, but he really isn't a hero. The bottom line is God uses Samson to defeat the Philistines. He kills hundreds of people in single combat with a jawbone of a donkey. He's a pretty cool dude. But all of these feats he accomplishes are actually in despite of how he's living his life. He's not a godly man. He's selfish. He has a disregard for God's law. And he's a womanizer. Go back and read it. He's no hero. And yet... God had given him a supernatural strength. You could think of Samson as the strongest man who ever lived. And yet he's not really a hero. God used him for a purpose. But what did he miss out on? He missed out on the love of God. In fact, it it seems like he really had a love deficiency by the way he was living his life. And on the other side, you have Solomon. If Samson was the strongest person who ever lived, Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. God gave him a supernatural wisdom and he gave him riches to go with it. You think, man, if I was super wise and I had all the money I could have, man, my life would be pretty great. And Solomon even wrote some of the wisdom we have in scripture, yet Solomon really didn't even follow all of his own wisdom because he had, had a thing for foreign women. And so he was bringing wife after wife after wife after wife. He had hundreds of them. And eventually he got to a a point in his life where that was what mattered to him. And so he was actually setting up idols for his foreign wives so that they could worship their false gods. And he was joining in in this false pagan worship. Solomon, he had all the wisdom. All the money. And he missed out on loving God. I mean, you compare him to his father David, his father, David, messed up royally. The second half of his reign was a mess. He had to flee the capital because his son was, uh, was trying to take his kingdom from him. And that was because of David's sin when he slept with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. Like it, David made a mess. And yet, what do we find in Scripture? That David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He lacked the strength Samson, he lacked the wisdom of Solomon, yet we tend to see him as more of a hero, not a complete hero, but more of a hero. Why? Because he loved God. And when we look in those Psalms and we see David crying out to God, there's something there that resonates with us. There's something there that touches our hearts and our souls. Experiencing the fullness of God is not found in endless tomes and commentaries, though I have a lot of books, I like books. Experiencing the fullness of God is not found in physical strength, determination, and success, even success in ministry. Now, we might experience some of God's love in those things, absolutely. But I would argue that that's dripping from the source of God himself. It cannot be found in those activities. You know, so much of this world values strength that rests on our ability And unfortunately, many of us in our lives have experienced loves that were conditional. We had friends that only really cared for us if we acted like them. Parents who only loved us if we fell in line and lived a certain way. And many of us carry that into our relationship with God. We think, well, God's love must be conditional. I must do this and this and this and this to win God's favor that it's really about my ability, it's really about my strength, it's about how smart I am or how capable I am. And yet that's not what we find in Scripture. God's love is unconditional. That's what we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, that God chooses people, that Jesus died for us before we before we, we even had a chance to respond. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So if we think that God will love us if we do this, or if we like these things, something's wrong in that equation. In fact, the opposite is true. It starts with God's love. It starts with God's love. I'm not saying we shouldn't study. I'm not saying we shouldn't do good things. I'm not saying that we should enjoy church, but it all has to flow from God's love or we are missing the point. And it will lead to ruin. When we grasp God's love, we are strengthened in our inner being, by the Holy Spirit, to have God's fullness fill our lives. Yet so often I look at my Christian life and I think, well, it's going to get better if I'm able to do this thing or master this ministry skill or technique or spend more time doing this or spend more time doing that. And those are all good things. But there's only one thing that truly brings the fullness of God into our lives, and that is the love of God or hopeless otherwise. Now we become like what we love. Is that not true? For those of you that have been married, you start swapping each other's phrases and mannerisms. Maybe even some annoying uh, pet peeves you originally had, you start doing them too. Now I'm not gonna use examples from my marriage. I don't, you know, I don't wanna get you know, shot in the night, so I'm gonna use a different illustration which is kind of a weird illustration, but bear with me. I know that there are some of you in this room that really love the state of Maine. Yes, sir. There are some of you that just love Maine, and I believe there's something in the air. There, there is something about the rocky coast, and there's something about the tall pine trees, and there's something about eating beans for breakfast that just captivates you. There's something there. There is. It's almost as if there's a love of Maine some you know something just floating around in the air i know this sounds weird i'm going somewhere with it because i've noticed something in my life the more time i spent here in maine the more i love it and the more i want to become like it like i looked at my wardrobe i said what happened i actually remember there was a day in college because i was trying to dress you know like like i was young and cool or whatever and I was like, you know what, I'm done with this. I took my skinny jeans, cut them up with scissors, threw them down the trash chute. So I'm done with this. Now my whole wardrobe is Levi jeans, boots of some kind, and flannels. When did that happen? I don't know. It just happened. And, you know, the list could go on. You know, but the more time that you love something, you experience the love of something, it changes you. It changes you. And that's the same way it works with God. We cannot win our favor with God. We cannot become like him in our own strength, through our own intelligence, our own wisdom, and yet he gives us his love. He died for us. If we trust in him, he forgives us, he adopts us as children, and he just pours out his love on us. And when we experience his love, that does something in here, and I can't fully explain it, but it just overtakes your life. It begins taking over all these parts of our lives that we didn't think were possible to be fixed or made right. And it comes through God's love. And yet, even though we've experienced that, so many of you in this room have experienced that, we get it flipped around and think, well, no, I need to do this externally. Trim a little bit here, trim a little bit there. I'm going to do this, do this, do this, learn this, learn this, learn this. And that's going to change my heart. It doesn't really work that way. There's a mystery here. There's something spectacular here. We can't turn it into a formula. I'm struggling to even preach through it. I mean, this is a prayer, not a sermon that we have here in Ephesians. The strength God offers is through his love, not our ability. The strength God offers is through his love, not our ability. I think this is something that just, just sneaks into the Christian life. It sneaks into the Christian life making our walk with God all about what we can do and what we can learn and not about experiencing the flowing love of God. Now, I by no means claim to, to know all of your situations and everyone's experiences, and there are probably 101 reasons that people will leave the church and walk away from the faith. But I think something that's so common is that, especially for those of us that are parents, we can get sucked into just doing all these Christian activities, and we know what we believe, because we're stubborn, and we're stuck in our ways, and and we trust God, but we make our lifestyle all about what we're going to do this activity. We're going to go to church because that's what we do. And you're going to have a devotional in the morning because that's what you do. And we're going to go to a Christian conference, or we listen to Christian music because that's what we like, and that's what we do. And we create this lifestyle chock full of all these different Christian activities. And then the kids turn 18 and they go, yeah, I just don't want to do those things. And they go off their own way. Like I said, this isn't every situation. But it's very easy. It's very easy to accidentally send the message that Christianity consists of things we do and things we learn rather than us coming to the throne of the God of love and just trying to wrap our minds around his love, just basking in the reality of his love. It's so easy to accidentally send the message that it's about what we do. And there's no power there. There's no strength there. So what do we do? What do how do we respond to this? Because like I said, this isn't a very theological text. I mean, it's theological, but it's a prayer. I think it's no coincidence that Paul formulated this as a prayer. He knew that only God could do this work. Only God could do this work of strengthening them in his love. Rooting them in his love. And then giving them the strength to begin to wrap their minds around the vastness of his love and his being. It's also no coincidence that Paul ends this prayer with doxology, this prayer ends with praise. Because I think prayer and praise are the two places where we actually are in a state where we begin to look at God's love rather than just say, well, what can I do? How can I grow, how can I mature? No, just look at God's love. Prayer and praise. You know, my greatest moments of experiencing God knowing that the living God loved me. I have not been in great moments of ministry success. They haven't been in great moments of study. though Those have certainly been influential elements of my life. I mean, I know as a pastor, to be honest, that probably for most of you, your most impactful time in this building wasn't even necessarily a sermon, but probably just one time where God just touched your heart listening to a song or in a time of prayer. You know, we can listen to a sermon and go, man, that was, that was impactful and I need to change. Then we go home and we try to change and we fail at it and we forget the sermon and we move on with our lives. But when we look at God's love, that's something you can't shake. When God makes it known to you and opens your eyes to a new element of it, it's something you can't shake and that's something we need to ask him to do because we cannot, we cannot force that upon ourselves. It's a work of God's. But in prayer and praise, we look at God's greatness and we ask Him to work in our inner man. We look at God's greatness and ask Him to work in the inner man. You know, the good news is you don't need a degree, you don't need ministry skill, you don't need to even have a strong constitution or complete control over your emotions. Now, yeah, those are good things. But the good news of the gospel is that we have equal standing before God. We have equal standing because the terms of our relationship with God are unconditional love from the Father through Jesus, continually being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of our own. It's not a work of our own. And so when we, when we pray, when we sing songs of worship, we recognize the vastness of God and face to face with such vastness, his unearned love comes down and it changes his people. It changes us. Now, if we want some simple guidance on this, I do think there's one element of prayer that we tend to neglect. There's a little acronym we sometimes use called ACTS, A-C-T-S, stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I find my prayers, unfortunately, often are just S. God, do this, 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 this for me. Help. The end. And I think Christian maturity slowly starts introducing those letters in backwards. You start also thanking God for the things that he has given you. And then you realize you're a wretch and you start confessing your sins, but that A is so hard to weave in there because it it calls us to just stand there or kneel there or whatever and say, God, you are great and to just spend some time thinking on how great he is. Because as objective people, we don't really think that matters. I just need to tell God what he needs to do for me and then that's the communication, right? Checkbox. but there's something there in adoration. In spending time outdoors and just looking at nature and going, wow, you're the creator. Spending time listening to music that praises God and points to his greatness and going, wow, you're amazing. These are the things that begin to bring us to a place to just stare at God's love not turn it into an intellectual assignment, to not immediately jump out and say, what do I need to do? But those are both important. But to just look at God's love and allow it to change us. If we notice weakness in our Christian life, we must return to look on the love of Christ rather than just try to muscle uh, muscle our behavior or drown our thoughts and content. You know, there is no end to podcasts and sermons you can listen to. But what we need to experience is the love of our creator who dwells in us, wants to work through us, who died for us. If we notice weakness in our Christian life, we must return to look on the love of Christ rather than just try to muscle our behavior or drown our thoughts and content. And when we look on the love of Christ, it flows into our actions. It does, in fact, change us. It does change the way we think. So let us seek to be with God in prayer and worship, and as we look at His vastness, we are given the strength to be holy and endure. The strength God offers is through His love, not our ability. Psalm 103:11: "For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. That's some great love. Let's pray. it's it's easy to be frustrated by all the things that I think I should be doing that I should be learning that the church should be doing that the church should be learning and so I pray in all of our minds in this moment you'd help us to just lay those aside for a second and to just think about your love that your love is not like the other loves we experience in this life So we pray to you, God, from whom every family in heaven on earth and on earth is named, that according to your riches of your glory that you would grant to us that you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we would be rooted and grounded in this love. That you would give us the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To you, Lord, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. (music) Oh, 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 oh oh, 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 oh